Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions, from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp, and welcome back to another episode of the Keto Naturopath. First, I want to apologize for my voice, but... That's really about what we're going to talk about. Not my voice per se, but how I came to have this voice. I've avoided talking about COVID, both in our Facebook group and on the podcast to an extent, even though I did interview somebody about their daughter, because I thought it was appropriate that people have that experience and know that it was a significant risk you know, of COVID. So now here we are in October. So we are uh, six months, six to seven months into the lockdown, more or less. And I personally have, as I say, avoided talking about COVID because it's such a controversy. Everything is an argument in this country. I'm obviously speaking from the United States. You can argue about the etiology of COVID, the causes of COVID, the treatments of COVID, the politics of COVID, masks or not mask, staying in shelter, sheltering in place, that everything is an argument. It's just like, oh, well, I heard this. Well, I heard this. So I figured how I'm going to cover this is not to pretend I am any authority. I'm certainly medically equipped to understand any studies that are out there, and I do read more than my share. A lot of the studies, by the way, are very imprecise. There's an agenda out there to get these studies out to say something that's not necessarily true, that it's a hunch. And so you go through all this, and there's a lot of basic information that has yet to be proven. One of the things I've been very surprised is, you know, I I put together this recommended sort of protocol, things you could do in terms of supplements, and I put it in our Facebook group as a a document in our file section. So, you know, it was vitamin D and C and NAC and other things a little more. Six months later, I wouldn't change a thing on that. I would just add something that I subtracted initially, which was quercetin. That's along with everything else. But the reason I mentioned that, that I did this six months ago and I wouldn't change anything and actually now everybody agrees that this is kind of the way it should go, is because nothing has been relevant in the last six months in terms of actual treatment. You would have thought there would have been something, medical intervention, some sort of medical, even if it's at-home sheltering DYI protocol that was at least mentioned. None of that was. We've sort of been left in abeyance and nothing very specific has been ever mentioned other than, oh yeah, vitamin D is an issue. Oh, we knew that a long time ago. Vitamin D... 20 years ago, well, actually, vitamin D started becoming a thing in 2004, 2005. And then after that, NAC. NAC is so good, 
that now the FDA is thinking about taking it away from the supplements and putting it as a medication. Isn't that amazing? And to what good will that be? I covered that in a former podcast as well. So the point is, here we are seven months into it, and nothing really relevant outside of call it naturopathic protocols are really being used. Uh, Trump went in and he got his special monoclonal antibody therapy, uh, which nobody else can get, maybe in, in his steroids. There's the kind of the frustration. So I'm going to cover this on what is my experience? How did we get into this? So right now, on October 9th, 2020, my wife and myself have been diagnosed as COVID as of last, was it Tuesday or Wednesday? As of last, so today's Friday. So it was either two days ago or three days ago. We went in and had our test done. So I'm going to take our story of what that was like of us in our experience, we had to go to a meeting and the meeting was actually canceled because it was supposed to be a month ago. I said, no, let's cancel it, put it off a month and let COVID die down. Well, obviously it didn't die down or... So let's go back. Okay. So we were going to have a meeting in only about 10 or 12 of us to meet at a fun place, spend a couple of days of working and one day of being a tourist in that environment. So we're going to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which we did end up going to. Here we are now... September 23rd, we fly out, and we're flying out from New Bern, North Carolina. So it's three flights to get to Jackson Hole to Charlotte, Charlotte to Dallas, Dallas to Jackson Hole. And so on the last flight of these three flights, and they're all packed, by the way, all packed. Delta has pulled out of New Bern, so it's a small airport, so now it's just American. So we basically flew American the whole way. So all the flights were packed. The idea that there was any sort of social distancing or that they were testing, there was no testing. They didn't do the forehead temperature at all. It was come one, come all, get into the seats. They are, I think the airlines, at least American at this point, is in a, feels it is in a free fall financially that it didn't really matter. There, there is no precautions they're taking. It's a big joke. By the third flight out there, which was almost a three-hour flight from Dallas to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, that we're sitting three across. I like the window seat. So it's me, my wife in the middle. And then uh, this other woman about in her mid thirties is my guess. She was, and we're all wearing masks or supposed to. So at least that's sort of complied with to an extent. She was very sick. She was dripping over my wife more than me, but dripping over everybody. Had her mask off more than on in part because she always had to blow her nose. And it was understandably difficult for her to do all that with her mask on. So anyway, as we, within the day of arriving there, started that first night sleep saying, you know, it's not quite right. I feel like when I start to get sick, the first two nights I cannot sleep. And so I thought, well, is it because I, you know, arrived in a new place and it was hotter than we'd like to sleep in and so on. And you're a little bit disoriented, all that sort of stress of change of environment, but it got progressively worse. And I ended up being the sick guy in the group. That's such an embarrassing position to be. You want to say, hey, it's not a big deal. Don't worry. At the same time, you go, all right, everybody stay away from me. I might be COVID. This is what everybody's thinking about. having dinner with everybody. And so what we did is a to take precautions. We didn't have precaution to the wind. Uh, this group rented a house and we had a chef come in to cook dinner for the whole group of us for the nights, for a couple nights. So all that was good. And I was progressively getting worse and worse. You know, I could feel the chills and a fever coming and going. And at what point do you, I tried to extract myself from the group at the same time. It's a, it's a working weekend for lack of a better working holiday. 
So for two days, we're sitting next to each other and going over various presentations and so on. And I could have fallen asleep at the drop of a hat, you know, gone up to my room and just crashed, but I didn't want to seem asocial, antisocial, or asocial. Judy was doing actually a little better than myself, or I was a little more compliant to the social norms, that is, of being part of the group. And I was just not making it. Then, um, so now we were there for four days and we all left to go home, primarily by flights. And so that group is now COVID positive for all but two people. And I don't think those other two people have tested. Maybe they don't want to test. So it came in. Did it come in on me? Was somebody else COVID positive in the group? There was somebody else who was not feeling well as well. So there you go. We incubated ourselves. So in the very least, we took care of not spreading it any further than ourselves. We traveled by van. So that's kind of another micro cubicle that we all shared for a period of time. And I feel badly for everybody else who got sick because I think I, since I was the obvious failing individual, at that point it was congestion, some faint body aches. But, you know, when you're distracted with things you need to focus on, you tend not to feel that badly. So I think that I'm probably the carrier there. And I think that they, we picked it up from this woman who dripped all over us. So that was the reality. What do I think of that? I guess my at that point, my if there was a lesson to extract from that, and this is the whole thing is about our story, it's not about making right or wrong, is that we were under the impression that there was a degree of social distancing in the plane, but apparently Americans stopped doing that a week before or mid-September, I guess. And this is late September. So there you go on that. The airports were definitely packed. Charlotte was packed. Dallas was really packed. And Jackson Hole, by the way, they are having this, their best summer fall ever. So they are packed with tourists coming from all sorts of directions, and that makes for a mess. So there was that. I would say when people have asked, now we've posted this on Facebook, and it goes on for a gazillion comments, as you can guess. And uh, most have sympathy for our perspective. And one guy who was kind of snotty, but also had his perspective that was valid saying, well, you knew the risk, you took the risk and you got sick and now you're trying to blame the, uh, the airlines. There's a degree of truth in that. And I bring that up for that reason. However, I do feel that the airlines did mis- misrepresent their precautions that they took, or somehow I missed the notice that they no longer take precautions. So the word is publicly, they do not take precautions anymore. Certainly American Airlines is packed. I have heard a friend of ours who's in TSA and uh, Bradley Airport in Hartford, Connecticut, that Windsor Locks actually, that Southwest Airlines still social distances. That is, they don't have everybody sitting in the middle seat and everybody's wears masks. So if that makes you feel better, I think that's a better airline anyway. American really didn't care. I'm trying to remember if the airline people, call them hostesses or hosts, uh, were wearing uh, face masks. I am assuming so. And of course, they stop any sort of extra service. So there you go on that. So yeah, in part it was on us. We thought we were we thought we had canceled it. We thought we were, you know, now into this era of low COVID. And all I can say we got bit by a sleeping snake. I didn't think it was out there. I didn't think it was as bad as it was. We are indeed suffering the consequences of being COVID positive. So now let's go on to that after feeling miserable for the time out there, but learned a lot and I really appreciate being out there. I feel badly if I was the infectious agent for everybody else who got sick, is getting sick, who's just positive for COVID in our group. But I want to say that COVID's a much bigger deal 
in my life now, obviously, than it was before. You know, I'm sure everybody has just gotten tired of listening to COVID. You know, they're going to go running out in the streets if they have to stay in lockdown or sheltering in place for one day longer. I totally get that. I'm part of that as well. If I didn't have to work online, I, I think I'd be more crazy than I am by having to stay sheltering in place. So now when this conversation sort of evolves and you start having these conversations, you know, now that you're COVID positive, people really don't care. Oh, well, they sort of see you as a dummy. Oh, we well, didn't take precautions. You got what you deserved. That's kind of the dominant perspective. There's not a lot of sympathy in certain circles. So I want to also explain what we had to go through to get ourselves tested. So as soon as we came back from Jackson Hole, we had to drive up to Boston, which is an 800-mile drive. It's a long drive. Uh, my wife, for those who have been listening to this podcast for the past nearly three years, you know, she had a meningioma, a brain tumor. And so each year she goes back for MRI with the head of neurology at Tufts. We're lucky to have him be her neurologist. Therefore, we go back for that. Awfully nice guy. That's Dr. Carl Heilman. So that was an extra stress. You know, as we had a day or two to sort of catch up on a little bit of sleep and then off we go for, in essence, a two-day drive. We make it up in one day exhausted and then we come back in two days and the highways were packed. You know, it wasn't like, oh gosh, nobody's on the highway. So those days of nobody on the highway and we'd go through over George Washington Bridge, which is mean you go through New York City, it was packed. And on the way back on the other side of New George Washington Bridge and the New Jersey Turnpike, it was bumper to bumper for 40 miles. So when you look on your Google Maps, it's all red out, you know, and there was standstill traffic. So we pulled off and stayed in some dive in uh, northern New Jersey, a place called Rahway. Interesting little town, actually. And then we took off in the morning, finally got home pretty sick. And so I was calling our our physician in New Bern, North Carolina, to see what I had to do to get tested. So we got tested. So what does that mean? There are different tests out there. And so the rapid test is what they call an antigen test. And the antigen test does have more false positives. So no, it's more, P and this is what you've heard in the news. That's why people will claim, oh, well, the numbers are falsely elevated because they are the rapid test. This is probably true. And there's another test out there for PCR, which is much more precise and uh, does not have the false positives. However, you get what you have available in your area. The PCR was not available. You'd have to pay out of pocket. So then it ends up being a real sort of dog and pony show to actually go to the medical office. You stay in your car and they come out to you. Well, they couldn't tell us where to park in the parking lot. We had to go around the parking lot saying, is this the right place? Is this the right place? Is this the right place? So for 45 minutes of doing that, and finally, two women come out, you know, dressed in the gowns like you've seen in all the pictures with the shields and so on. And they do a nasal they put right up your nose and it is painful. Let me tell you, I cannot imagine people getting that test every few days if they have to, but it was painful. And within a couple hours, we came back positive and they gave us a call. So after they give you a call, then the state calls you the because they're going to do what they call tracing. Okay, where have you been? But the problem is the people who do this tracing, I won't say that they're uneducated. First, they didn't speak English as a as their primary language. I don't have a prejudice there, but if they can't understand what I'm saying and they're taking down vital information, how's that going to work? So after a strenuous conversation with basic questions that I think they were struggling to take down, you know, they say, where, where do you think you got it? Got it on a plane. We're out to Jackson Hole. And that's about as much as they wanted to do. 
you would have thought that you would have got a follow-up appointment or a call or a tele an appointment with your physician. But no, that's it. You know, check. And they go, oh, well, you got 10 days now to self-quarantine. Well, let's talk about the 10 days for quarantine after you've been positively diagnosed. Well, positively, quote unquote, right? The false positives for COVID. All right, the 10 days. Well, if I got COVID in the plane, then shouldn't the 10 days start then? And the 10 days would have expired because we are now nearly, today's, we are at two weeks, a little over two weeks. We flew out on Wednesday. So it was two weeks ago, Wednesday, we flew out. And so that should be 10 days. Uh, That makes no sense. It was kind of a relief to get a positive diagnosis, like other people would in a way have that because you're suffering. You know, you have myalgia, which is muscle pain. You have joint pain. You have electroshocks through your head. And that's pretty much normal flu. That's normal bad flu, by the way. And so when they say things, oh, did you lose sense of smell? And taste. Everybody who has a flu loses sense of taste and smell. So that's a stupid question. Uh, what else? Brain fog. Everybody who's in, in has a virus of any type of flu is going to have brain fog. Call it spaciness. So when you look at these studies that seem to be so erudite, they're just bogus. Absolutely bogus. They're trying to get some of the free money that's out there for COVID. I mean, there's nothing new or insightful about that at all. So I'm pretty disappointed. I come to the idea that you're going to get a rapid COVID test. And more than likely, if you have symptomology of any type, you'll come back positive. And that's really not going to help you much. You're going to, you're roadkill. So you stay home and take fluids. Nobody tells you anything what to do. I don't have a problem with that because a physician, so we have our own list of the protocol I've told you about. You know, we know what we're doing and, and we have no lung problems. Uh, my wife has a dry cough. If I cough, it's once a day, so hardly that. I have mostly sinuses and headaches and spaciness, brain fog, but uh, we have no lung conditions at all. So what do we write that off to? I believe we write that off to because we're pretty much in ketosis, if not ketosis, ketosis, nutritional ketosis, which means a low value. We don't eat any carbs. We're not overweight, and we were in shape before we left on the on the trip. So I think those are things that kept us going. So that explains our lack of lower respiratory lung problems. There's, I have no problem breathing. I have no problem breathing while I'm sleeping. It's just sort of, you know, the aches and pains that come with being a flu and still having to blow my nose a lot. So now we're going on to two weeks. So the 10 day quarantine period, I think that's as arbitrary as the plane's Airlines saying that they're taking precautions. I don't know what precautions. I don't think there's any meaning for the 10 days. It's better than nothing. I hope that you stay home, I'm sure, uh, longer than shorter. So that's the reality. It really is on you to go forward, get the diagnosis. And yeah, maybe you're going to be, it's a false positive. But at the same time, if you get a negative on that, you definitely do not have it. After that, you're, it's up to you to manage your symptoms. You know, nobody's, there's, there's no quick fix there. It's basically what I say, naturopathic. It comes down to various supplements you take to support yourself. And back to supplements. I'm going to cover that on a separate podcast because I think that that is really warranted to say, these are the things that I'm doing for me and what my wife are doing for her. I kind of do them more rigorously than she does, but more or less we have our list of things that we will take for ourselves to make sure it doesn't get worse. What I'm concerned with and, and how I've sort of had to change my perspective, mostly because 
This isn't a fun thing to have. I will put it in the category of a flu. It's just a very bad flu. Most flus are over by 14 days. It's usually seven to 10 days is runs the course of the flu. And that's primarily because you do have to generate antibodies to the virus. And so it takes a while for that. And that's why the seven or 10 days. But after that, you should pretty much, your body should have identified that virus, made antibodies to that virus, and to be able to knock out that virus. And so now for this to be sort of lagging on beyond 14 days, we'll give it another week and see what that is, but it should be done and out. We do have some energy. I'm, I have no desire to stay in bed all day, but there's part of me that could fall asleep in the middle of a sentence, regardless of who I'm talking to or on. And these are serious concerns. It's a bigger deal. So my perspective change has been this, that it is alive and well. So the virus is alive and well, and it's out there. Do not fear it. That sounds like a President Trump term. But take precautions. But I would say the taking of precautions has to be more about be aware where you are going. And will that environment, does that environment take the same kind of precautions to the level that you do? And if they don't, I would seriously reconsider entering into that environment. So now we can say about us, I'm talking about airlines, I'm talking about airports, I'm talking about planes, I'm talking about people who really don't care, aren't going to report themselves, and they'll make other people sick. I'm sure that one flight in American Airlines has caused at least 100, if not 200 people. I don't know what the seating capacity is. Let's say it's 100. I'm sure nearly everybody on that flight got COVID because of that one person. And let's say there was one or two other people in there. It was for three hours. It's worse than a wedding. You know, you are cheek by jowl, face to face. You are sharing each other's saliva for the most part, aerosolized throughout the whole plane. And then, of course, the plane uh, air system, you know, circulates to make sure everybody has equal access to the virus. So it is an incubator. It is a super spreader. So that's what I think of planes. I did not think of that before. Now that I'm on the tail end of that experience, hope the tail end of that experience, it is something that I would take far more seriously. And I would say, looking back, and you never get this chance in life to go do the same thing twice. I did not think that the virus was still up and running and still as destructive as it is. One of the other controversies you get involved with and I'm not trying to say, you know, where am I mask wear? Yes, I do wear a mask for the grocery store. I do wear a mask in public. I don't like it at all. My nose and ears were falling off by the time I arrived in Jackson Hole. And it took a couple of days for them to must have it on pretty tightly. But I do it as a consideration to others. It's not so much a protection to others. If I have something, it keeps my germs from getting to them. So it's a courtesy that I do for others, not necessarily something I'm doing for myself. That kind of sentiment in our culture today is gone. It's so selfish. You know, you go into the gym and it's usually the young kids that they don't clean, you know, they don't, there's bottles around. They don't clean their equipment because they're smarter. We're just stupid old people that still believe in the virus. You know, it's like, I just despise that lack of civility. I despise that lack of, won't you at least be considerate of others? Nope. They're too big for that. So I see that a lot on the plane. I see it a lot in the airport. So back to the idea of wear a mask or not, I'm a mask wearer. And I just don't participate in conversations and saying, well, you know, there's studies are out there saying it's not, I really don't care. I really don't care. If there's a hundred million studies out there that say that it's ineffective, I don't think so. I think it clearly has its effect. And there's plenty of studies that say it's effective. And there's a lot of people in the keto community, by the way, that are very much against mask wearing. And they're very much about sheltering in place. 
And what they do is they point to the Sweden experience. So Sweden didn't do sheltering in place. They did a little bit of social distancing, which supposedly they still do. And that means, I guess, a few tables at restaurants are not seated. They would otherwise be. So let's talk about Sweden and feel free to Google this. I'm not going to do this as a dissertation on what Sweden did. So Sweden had the highest death count in Europe, period. Far higher than its neighbors of Norway, of Denmark, and Finland. In total. So they arced up tremendously and they came down. And so what I'm saying is right now they're saying, well, you know, the, the incidence of COVID in Sweden is far lower now than, you know, uh, lower now than any place else in Europe. I believe that's probably true. And you can follow that either in the New York Times or on Johns Hopkins link and so on. You can get all that data on your own. I'm sure you know where it is. And this isn't about that. But this is about the conversation for people trying to justify not sheltering in place, not wearing masks. And I understand the shutdown of the economy. And I don't know what to do about that. The government needs to step up and help people who have been put out of work. Different topic. But what I'm saying is this whole Sweden story is now used as a justification not to put on your mask and not to shelter in place. And the part that they omit in their story is that the death toll in Sweden was huge. It happened more quickly than any other country, arguably maybe Spain. I have to compare those numbers if I was that interested. So the total number of deaths so surpasses Norway, Finland, and Denmark, its neighbors. Still, by a long shot today, they're not even close. But yet their incidents are lower now than in the other three countries, its neighbors. There was a cost, and the cost is of debt people. There was plenty of people who died because they didn't take precautions. So now they're saying, well, you know, it's herd immunity. They got herd immunity. That's quite a price. Is that a price that we're supposedly willing to pay in the United States? The United States is such a mixed bag. You have some states who are just saying, screw you, government, or Fauci or whatever, and they do like Oklahoma. They do nothing about it, like two-thirds of Kansas. They do nothing about it. And then you have other states uh, in the Northeast, it appears that the compliance is really pretty high, and they really are trying to stay right on top of this. So it is all over the place in the United States. That's just one layer of our problems in this country. But I'm saying that we don't have, on the implementation side, I'm not trying to get into the politics, on the implementation side, we have no uniformity at all anywhere. You get that when people come in from Europe, and they fly in from Europe, and they go, you come to the United States and nobody checks you. Nobody checks my temperature, you know, the, the forehead scan. Nobody asks how I'm feeling. And so that's interesting. He said, whereas Europe, you get checked four or five times just in one airport. I can testify for that in uh, French airports anyway. So there's a big difference. We are where we are, and it still comes down to it is our responsibility. And it is, it was, is my responsibility that we took a risk and we suffered the consequences. That's the way it goes. I do feel I was a little bit fooled into thinking that the airlines were better protected than they were. Once you start on that trip, what are you going to do? Turn around and come back? You already contaminated yourself. It's a big learning circle here. Do not think there's a safer little corner of the world you're going to go out there. I'm not asking you to hide under your bed for the next six months either. I'm saying I think it's very reasonable to wear a mask, and I hope you're doing it. And again, my bottom line is in courtesy to others. Don't be so freaking selfish for yourself. Wear it and just move on. It's not an inconvenience much for you. Maybe if you're working out, it's a little bit different because you're consuming too much carbon dioxide and that could work against you. But even then, 
there's a way to get around that. So I hope you will take the precautions seriously. Decide on a per situation area saying, you know, are they taking precautions? Are they not? Am I willing to expose myself to the lack of precautions that other people are taking? That's really what it comes down to. I felt in part, you know, just like I felt very badly in this group, like I should go down to the meetings instead of lying up here on my bed for an extra five minutes before we rejoin for the next session. You know, I was feeling like I was being a social. So that guilt, that guilt of not participating really started to wear deep in me. And so there's a kind of guilt that we all experience by saying, you know, why not just take my mask off and just be friendly as if you're being unfriendly by wearing a mask. You're actually being more friendly by wearing a mask. You're being more considerate by wearing a mask. So I'll ask you to continue doing that and to just politely and nicely explain your perspective to others should they ask. Don't suffer fools lightly and get into arguments that are unsustainable. Ignorant people are just not going to receive new information. But it's a considerate thing to do, so I'm all about encouraging you to be considerate for the larger good. It's a little thing you can do for a bigger benefit. In terms of Sweden, which is now the poster child of, hey, you don't need to wear your your face mask, well, they paid the price. They paid the price of a very heavy toll in dead people, in people who have died because of COVID. That gets me to another point. There's another point that's out there. They're saying, oh, all these deaths are being misrepresented. People aren't dying from COVID. They're dying from heart disease. They're dying from things that would have been treated elsewise. Well, let me tell you just a little common sense, because that is such a stupid thing to say. Really is such a stupid thing to say. When you have a cold or flu, and let's say you die from a cold and flu, well, you're going to die either because you're fixated, that is that you've, you know, your lungs have so filled up with mucus that you couldn't breathe. So they will say that's secondary to asphyxiation or cardiopulmonary. Well, it was the flu that stressed your system, that created the problem, that gave you that. You might die of a heart attack. Obviously, lack of oxygen is going to hurt your heart. So you're going to say heart attack. And they say, well, it was a heart attack. It wasn't about COVID or the flu. It's like, what an ignorant person. Let's get real. Nobody dies from the diagnosis of having COVID. They all die from a comorbidity. A comorbidity is heart disease. It's COPD, congestive obstructive pulmonary disease. It's from any one of the other things. It could be come from a asphyxiation. It could be from a super infection. That is, you have so much mucus, now you get a bacterial infection on top of the viral infection. Then it becomes a, so they call that a super infection. You also can eventually develop sepsis. But these are all things that came from this person's predisposition, whether healthy or not. We can all say, we now know that the United States is, what, 70% of the population is diabetic or obese. But it's huge. So we can say, okay, there's a, we all have a predisposition to getting ill faster than otherwise. Well, we all got something. And we're all going to have a comorbidity that's going to be a bigger problem than other comorbidities. So I find that a really stupid and very unhelpful sort of report about saying, well, they're all dying of something else. And so the, really, it's a misrepresentation, a misreporting of the deaths due to COVID. BS to that. Total BS to that. Grow up and stop being such a negative little undermining influence. Sorry for the rant on that, but it's just so much stupidity in the news. You even see that on CNN and blah, blah, blah. That's how we got into this. It is our responsibility. I'm going to go into what we plan to do to take care of it for ourselves. And I'll break that down because, you know, I thought I was done with COVID and we're pushing that all to the side. And now, at least in our lives, there's been a flare. 
as I say, we got bit by a sleeping snake and we're going to take care of it. I think we'll do fine. Here we are two weeks later. I'm still with my runny nose and so on and so forth. And we're doing okay, but uh, we're not out of the woods. And so I'll let you know as it goes. And I thought by being my own witness, my own testimony about what we're going through, it would be helpful for others to hear that as well. Uh, By all means, if anybody has any questions in any of this rambling I've done in this particular podcast, feel free to send me a question and I will get back because I think you need to take this a little more seriously. I'm not saying, hey, this is one more level of anxiety I'm going to inject into your life. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying take some basic precautions and let's stop pretending that this isn't an issue and it doesn't exist. So until next time. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Many of you have, and so what I've done with these questions that I've gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they were overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email and uh, I will get back to you. Stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.